All right. This is the New Glarus Brewing Podcast with Dan Carey. I am Scott May. I'm sitting across the table here from, from Dan. How you doing this week, Dan? Hey, folks. I'm doing all right. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. We are we're usually recording on like Thursdays or like a Wednesday. It is a Friday, so it is, it is yeah. the end of your week. How, how was your week this week? Uh, it was it was hectic. Hectic? I just kind of feel like it's whack-a-mole. I just come to work and, you know, what pitches are going to get thrown at me, and I just kind of try to hit them. <laughs> I went down uh, to Pimples today uh, to eat some lunch because I was – monkeying around with the, the, the stuff here on the computer to try to get it, to get it right. Cause we've been running into some issues. And, uh, I was talking to, to Chuck down there and we were talking about the, the warehouse expansions and all that. And I go, I truly honestly believe there's been like five times in Dan's career where he said, all right, we've done it. We have, oh, built, yeah. we have built it. It is, it is finished now. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I, yeah. When they last talked about, you know, we're thinking about a brew house expansion. I, at first I was like, good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> that, that sounds like it'll be stressful for y'all. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but it is funny. It is never done here. So you, you, whenever I ask you how your week's going, it, I don't think at once you've ever said, you know, it's been super chill. Yeah, no, no. It's been, it's been, well, just- you know, a brewer, a manufacturing in general, that's why people don't, you know, that's why people sub out to China because it's a lot of work to make things. Making stuff is exceptionally hard, especially yeah. when you have like, I'm trying to figure out like a diplomatic, like when you have like business morals, it gets yeah. even like harder, right? Well, to, yeah, to, to but that's make true. In, that's true in all aspects of business. I'm really excited uh, to sit down again with you this week. We've, uh, we had a couple that we had recorded and then I think I was, I, I was out and about and you were out and about. So we haven't uh, been in the same room for like, a couple of weeks and I always really enjoy these cause like they're a nice respite uh, from, yeah, sure. from dealing with all the other stuff. And this is one where we're going to drink a, a little bit of beer too, which is always uh, good for me. It's a beer we have talked about, but it is my absolute favorite beer and it's, it's two women. And I always love these discussions we get into when we're just like having a beer and sure. talk, talking about it and what, what brewing is like. So I'm going to open mine and, uh, and I got you, you're, you're open yours and there you go. Yeah. Here's for you. Thank you. Yeah. This this beer, uh, to me, is is just about perfect. It it is it is just dark enough to where you feel like you're getting a really full sort of bodied experience out of a beer. Well, it's a beer flavored beer. It it it, it is it is like if you looked up like beer flavor in in a dictionary, <laughs> it would be this this beer and. It, Part of the nomenclature I don't get around, so, these, so you guys call this like a Bavarian lager, right? Yeah, pretty much. So what does that exactly mean? Okay, so... Um, <laughs> lager... I know, I like yeah, asking, okay, the, I like just okay, like okay, lobbing well, those questions yeah. over to you and just going like, all right, now I'm going to sit back and relax and enjoy this. Yeah, <laughs> so uh, lager beer uh, pretty much was invented in Bavaria. Okay. And... Uh, and or Bohemia, maybe maybe both places, but um, they're they're you know right next to each other. Yeah, is Bohemia so, like a real place? Because my oh, yeah. my, my grandmother yeah. on my dad's side was always told me she was Bohemian. And I thought she was legitimately thought she was making that up. No, no, Bohemia is a real place. Uh, you know, it's part of, obviously part of Czech Republic. Yeah, western half of Czech Republic. It's um, like around Moldova and all all that kind of area. Well, it borders right on Germany. Gotcha. Um, and then the eastern half is uh, Moravia. Gotcha. Um, where the barley comes from, mostly, mostly. And the hops come from 
Bohemia. But be that as it may, um, about 500 years ago, um, during the Little Ice Age, people start to brew lager beer. It was partly due to laws being written that own beer had to be brewed in the colder months of the year yeah uh to minimize spoilage just to um for the quality of the beer um so there were lots of laws around winter brewing brewers figured out that they made better beer in the winter than they did in the summer because mm-hmm. they didn't have artificial refrigeration you know until the 1800s till the um late 1800s so um lager beer was invented in uh in Bavaria and it it spread all over the world about 150 years ago it started to take over the world so lager beer is made everywhere but Bavarian lager beer is somewhat unique in that um, it's made from all malt okay. most, most modern lager beers um, are made with uh, other materials mm-hmm. like rice or corn and they have a lighter flavor uh, all malt beers are a little bit fuller in flavor uh, richer and so that uh, that Germanic f- taste has a very different taste. So um, when we say a Bavarian lager, what we're talking about is an all malt beer broadly in what would be called a pale lager or Helles. And, you know, I mentioned Bohemia. Like if you, you can go all the way over to the town of Ceske Budiovice, which mm-hmm. in German is Budweiss. And in Budweiss, they make, Budweiser beer. Yeah. They make Budweiser beer in the town of Budweiser. They had a brewery in the town of Mikulovich. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so a uh, well-known brewer, brewer in St. Louis liked these beers. And so he decided he was going to make Budweiser beer and Mikulov beer based on okay. these two towns. Wow. I did not put that together with the Mik- Mikulovich. Or, yeah, or, you know yeah, what I mean? That's, yeah. that the is, brewery's gone. It's a little yeah. town in the, near the hop country. But, you know, so, so th- this was the iconic place that lager beer comes from. And then if you look at Bavaria, there's many... Bavaria is, is a relatively large state in Germany, but there are districts, there are areas that are very, very different. And if you go to northern... Um, Northern Bavaria uh, to what's called Franconia or mm-hmm. Franken, you would find a full flavored, malty, rich, a little bit darker. So if you look at this beer, it yeah. has a little bit of more color. It's not it's not pale, but it's no, not it's, brown. It's, it's, it's like a deep golden. Yeah, there you yeah. go. And so that would uh, be what we would call a country lager. Meaning, uh, when you go out into the rolling hills of northern Bavaria, the what's called Lower Bavaria, which is a little bit more peaceful, not as affluent as southern Bavaria, um, more chill, more f- agricultural and farming area, you find these little village breweries, and they all make kind of full-flavored, rich lager beers, and that was the inspiration for this beer. So when you so when you're putting you know Bavarian lager on 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 this, you're you're, you're basically trying to communicate that <clears throat> this is going to be an old world kind of style beer. This is yes. going this is going to be a little fuller than Americans are used to con- connoting with with a lager beer. Right? Yeah, you know if you think about a typical American lager beer, uh, uh, you know everybody loves a good simple. American style lager beer or or Mexican uh, lager, they're to me they're pretty much synonymous. Um, yeah, they're you know they're made with with rice or corn at forty percent and then sixty percent 
malted barley. They're thinner bodied, lighter, um, not as full flavor, not as rich. Well, yeah. And, and it's funny. Cause like when I'm drinking this, like, you know, you get that, that you, you, you get that malt bill, right? That, that is what this is all about. And yeah. it is very, very delicious. And to me, it's like, I was, you know, I was like Kansas city last week at the, at a, at a writer's oh, how'd that go? It went really, really I heard great. you, 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 uh, you did a reading uh, from I, your novel. I did. I, I sold like 10, 10 books, which was crazy. Like Good, no one buys books at reading. So I was no, like, that's, that's funny. really cool. We only, we only brought like 30 advanced copies and they're, they're all gone now. So good job. Yeah. Congratulations. So it was really cool. But I drank, uh, <laughs> the first night I was out at a bar bar and you know because there's a reading there and some friends of mine i was drinking paps right i was drinking oh funny pbr and you're yeah. a hipster well it well it's just you know people are always big stovepipe paps oh yeah sure. bring over the tall boy ounce, yeah yeah you know someone hands you a tall boy you know what you gotta do yeah, right? right so i spent the night having like i think i had like three of those and yeah. um the next day you know and i didn't really think much while i'm drinking it was just like i'm drinking you know i'm drinking beer but it didn't really yeah, sure. nothing really like um made me cognizant of what I was doing. And the next day I went to um, a barbecue joint. So like, I got to try some barbecue. I'm in Kansas city. And they happened to serve a lot of like local craft beer and stuff like that. I was wearing my, uh, the new new Glarus work shirt you got me. He goes, Oh, do you work there? And next thing you know, I have a flight of, of different craft beers to try in oh, front wow, of me. Cause he's cool. just like, here, try these. And, cool. and I tried to dunkle in, Oh, Kansas, oh. KC brewing, Kansas, Kansas city brewing. Yeah. KC yep, brewing dunkle. And yeah. I, and I tried that dunkle and I was like, this is an amazing beer. It is. This is such a you know, good that's their, beer. That's their number one selling beer, I believe. That's their, their, they make a, they make lots of beers. They make a Weiss beer. They make a oh, yeah. lager. Oh, uh, believe know, me. Yeah, I, I gave him a shot. Oh, <laughs> they, yeah. They, they do an excellent job. I actually, the, the guy who owns that brewery, he and I went to brewing seminar together in Munich. Um, oh, that is so. Steve Hawley is his name. And. He went and started this brewery. That is so cool because, like, immediately when I tried that Dunkel, I was cognizant of what I was drinking. Yeah, it was good stuff. I, I was very into it. And he looks at me. I go, "That is an." I was like, "That is an amazing. That's an amazingly well put together. Yeah, it is Dunkel Dunkel beer. It, yeah. it is." So he's like, "Yeah, we we sell a lot of that." Yeah, and yeah. Uh, uh, but it's funny because when you drink something like this, to me, it is like a kind of a perfect middle ground between that sort of th- those sort of two things, like. To me, this tastes not like a light beer because it, it it certainly doesn't, but it is as refreshing as something like that uh, as some sure. as something like a well, lighter that's the goal lager, to then, marriage drinkability and complexity because yeah. certainly um, you know you're 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 in your early forties and as you get older you, you got you can't just take in calories for no. the, you got to so 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 you know if you think about an American. Um, you know, just a regular old lager beer, you know, you're, you're for, for a 16 ounce can of beer, you know, you got to be pushing close to 200 calories. Whereas, uh, um, you know, drinking a a beer like, like two women, um, a bottle of two women is probably 160 calories. So, so, so you're, you're getting a lot more bang for your buck, so to speak. And as we're, you know, we're sort of uh, taking this in, one of the things that, you know, coming up just as we're talking is, uh, you, you know, the difference between sort of brewing and managing a brewery, right? Yeah. And it sort of like dawned on me, you you have a sort of unique perspective in this in that as you were working for like the very first startups in the late, yeah. in mid, late 80s, and then had your own in the, in, in the early 90s. And I have to imagine as this sort of nascent craft beer industry grew, 
there you witnessed you've probably witnessed a lot of changes just in how the business runs how managing a brewery runs how you found found it to be in your first couple of brew houses as opposed to working in a brew house now so I, I yeah I kind of want to talk a little bit about that and how th- just the business I guess has evolved in managing a brewery yeah, sure. in sort of the modern times versus how it was in sort of like the 80s so I guess what was a typical brew house like in like 1985 sure uh, before we move off of two women oh, I, yeah. I'd like to just say that the people wonder where the name two women comes from and it refers to uh to Deb yeah the president of our brewery and Sabina Weyerman, who's the president of Weyerman Malting, where we get some of the malt in this beer. So it's named in honor of Deb and Sabina, um, two female-led businesses. But actually, and Deb, I couldn't get Deb to change the name, but actually it's three women because the hops, they're Hollertau hops, but they're grown in Oregon by Gail Goshi. So this, this beer is... Um, made with uh, the input of, of three uh, matriarchs of businesses. Uh, so I think that's kind of noteworthy and kind of cool. Well, I think so too. And I think it also, you know, I think part of the reason why you're, you're as kind of cool as you are from a business management perspective is those are the kind of things that you find interesting. Oh, definitely. And that you value, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and it seems like you've with you and Deb have, have run this place in a way that seeks, seeks out that sort of collaboration. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, with your brewery, it seems like you guys were kind of always ahead of the curve on just like, Hey, look, we're, we're just going to take who's, who, who's good for this role. Like if it, it doesn't matter who you are, who your dad was or whatever. Can you do do this job? Are you good for this role? Fine. We'll we'll, we'll plug in. And it seems like more businesses are now, you know, know, starting to come around to kind of the idea of like, you know, a diversified workforce is ultimately going to be good for everybody. (laughs) They're being being pushed and shoved into it, (laughs) screaming and fighting the whole way. But, but, but for you, for you guys in here in New Glarus, you know, some of it is the values you guys had coming up as working class people. And some of it was just like, well, hell we're trying to get off the ground. We can't be choosy right now. Well, the, if, I guess if, if we want to discuss that, first of all, I, I would say that, um, if you look at talent and in, in, in the workforce, in teammates, in people that you can collaborate with to build something greater than yourself to be successful, you need as many options as possible. So if you dismiss any group of people um, because they look different than you or they have different mannerisms or different backgrounds, you are really, really going to hamstring yourself because the, what has made America historically strong is the influx of fresh ideas. So on one hand, um, we, we don't, you know, we try to be blind to, to these things because the, the, the differences make us stronger. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I guess you could say I'm of a certain age and, you know, Martin Luther King said it, best when he said that the dream is, is that we will look past the way, basically, I'm not, certainly not as articulate as, as, as he was, but in his speech, 
he, in an impromptu way, said that we are, um, I dream of a time when people will be valued for their inner soul, not the way they look. Yeah. And I really hope that someday we can get to that point. And the thing about having a business is that you can, um, you can't control much, but you certainly can control your little end of the pond. And certainly, uh, I'm, you know, I'm a sinner and I'm not without sin, but, uh, I, I try to, uh, emulate that, um, that idea of how I look at, um, potential, uh, teammates, um, coworkers, uh, because there's a really a lot of smart people out there. Yeah. And it just makes, and it, and yeah, and that just makes good sense. It, it would seem it's business sense. I yeah. mean, it's just not, it's not anything about snowflake BS or anything. It's business sense. Yeah. It's, it's the, it, it is finding the, the, the person who's going to do this the best for you. That's right. So, but when you first started out in those first couple of breweries and as, you know, craft brewing is in its sort of nascent stage. What were those times like in managing a brew house and, and, and just sort of the fluctuations for no one really knowing where this thing was, was going just like, we're going to make some beer and see, and yeah. kind of see what happens. Well, in order to really understand, I guess it's better to compare and contrast to yeah. the current time. So now there are more or less 10,000 breweries in the United States and craft brewing is very, very much part of the, fabric of United States and most drinkers probably have seen craft beer since they were born. Um, but in the early eighties there were, you know, as I said in previous podcasts, you know, there were 40, 50 breweries left in the United States and breweries were closing. So the, the big brewers, particularly Anheuser-Busch, was really steamrolling. They were growing by leaps and bounds and aggressively uh, winning the, the marketing and business and brewing end of things and just forcing the little brewers out of business. So, mm-hmm. you know, in Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, there were small breweries in many, many small towns. and um, Where, where lots, the Germans settled. Yeah, that's pretty much right. So they were, they were forced out of business and Part of it was because they were beer was more expensive, and also, honestly, the quality of their beer wasn't as good as the national shippers. So this was a time of contraction, and uh, most people were um, unsure of what craft brewing was. There was no infrastructure. There was no fax machines. There was no internet. Uh, if you wanted to learn something you know, you had to go find a buyer's guide in a library and then you had to send a letter by snail mail. Yeah. To somebody it or, or yeah it's like you had to them. know a person basically. Yeah. yeah. Even, I mean, even phoning to Europe, you basically had to call the operator way back in the old days. I mean, it gets a little bit crazy. So uh, things moved much more slowly. There was no equipment. So all of our, the craft breweries were made, 99% of them were made from used dairy equipment. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause that was what was available because at that time the dairies were also going out of business. So, you know, maybe up into the nineties, uh, there's contractions in that end of the business. So the, uh, brewers were all worked for large brewers and the large brewers were a little bit hard nosed, uh, old school. And, um, the people who were starting craft breweries had to find their own way 
building their own mills, building their own uh, louder tons, drilling holes to make a false bottom for the vessels and, yeah. and you know, direct fire brew kettles and trying to figure out how to put a burner underneath the kettle and finding old soda pop fillers that they could use and kind of creatively solve this problem. And the large brewers really wanted to have nothing to do with these uh, quote unquote hippies yeah, doing these crazy things. And frankly, you know, a lot of the beer was uh, dubious quality uh, because if you're using improper equipment and you really don't, you know, you, you made homebrew, but you've never done it commercially. It was a, a, it was a difficult time. There were not a lot of monsters. There were no trade uh, journals the, for craft brewers. There was no craft brewer conferences. Um, you kind of had to just find your own way. Um, no yeast labs. If you wanted yeast, you would, you know, you, there's a few places you could go to and you'd basically get a slant, a test tube of yeast, and you'd have to propagate that up yourself. Yeah. So then it was basically uh, like, good luck keeping it going. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Enjoy it. Yeah. I, um, I remember in the first brewery I was at, I bought a, a 200 pound bale of Cascade hops. Uh, you know, I didn't buy pellets. I bought a bale. And I think that bale lasted us a year that we just kind of kept pulling off this 200 pound bale of hops. And uh, so it was, uh, it was pretty rough. The other thing was, is that um, most taverns in those days, they had uh, two or three beers on tap. They might have um, Bud and Bud Light and may, maybe, maybe, I don't know. Yeah, depending on your, your spot in the country. Yeah, it's that's like, right. You have that's Miller, right. Yeah, you have MGD and Miller yeah. or Bud and Bud Light. Or, or Stroh's or Special X or and, whatever. Or if you're out in the, you know, around, what is it? Pennsylvania or somewhere. You might have some Yingling or, or something yeah, like that. Yingling but is a, an outlier. An they outlier, have, uh, yeah. Like maybe. They have survived. Yeah. And uh, they survived by the skin of their teeth and just by tenacity. Yeah. So uh, that is, that is they are one of the unique breweries that was uh, able to uh, take the punch. Uh, <laughs> and most brewers couldn't. But I think times were pretty lean for them. Uh, and they and they survived and have prospered. So kudos to them. Yeah, for for, for real. And you know, it's it's striking to me is like you have these these things that crop up, and and because there's a passion for it, right? And the beginning is always super DIY. No matter what yeah. the the, yeah, scene, right. the scene is, no matter what the the thing is. You know, when you're when you're trying to take on something like uh, building, you know, you know, building a business from from nothing when you have huge players in it and you have to sort of be scrappy and you have to put it together and you have to figure it out. You come up with different and unique ways of doing things, which produce different and unique products, which produces almost, a, you know, an air of coolness around yeah. it. And then it's almost like clockwork, like cyclical. It gets just big enough. And then the people who are saying these young punks, these hippies, they don't know what they're doing. All of a sudden get very into it because yeah, there's right. like a ground. Cause all of a sudden it becomes kind of cool. And when things become kind of cool, people want to be a part of it. Yeah. And when, then it becomes popular and then, then it comes, uh, then it, the whole thing comes full circle. Yeah. That's, there's definitely a, a cyclical nature to all things. After sort of like, like the DIY stage of stage of it, when you went to work, uh, you know, at, at one of the larger brewers, was there a culture shock then then to that because it was just like all of a sudden now you're showing up you know you you basically drove drove out of the you know out of the the pinto and and got into the mercedes right yeah. uh well uh at the brewery i worked at in in the early 90s uh 
you know, multi-million barrel brewery. To give you an idea, in one shift, one eight-hour shift, we made more beer in that shift than we did at New Glarus in the first three years of our business. Wow. So um, it was, um, they were they were humping, they were moving <laughs> lots of beer. Uh, it was, for me, it was a little bit of a culture shock. My father was a shop steward. I've been, you know, been around unions. I worked when I was in college. I worked in a peach cannery uh, as a supervisor in a, in a union plant. So I'm comfortable uh, with the culture. Uh, but be that as it may, it was, um, it was a little bit shocking because mm-hmm. there, unfortunately, uh, there's a distrust between management and the union. Yeah. And that, and being a frontline supervisor, I lived between both worlds, uh, and that was um, that so was a, the man a, without a home, basically. Y- well, yeah, with you know, kind of you're kind of left out because you're you're not part of the rank and file, and uh, and also I was, you know, in in my twenties and thirties, and um, most of the brewers were, um, I don't know, thirty, forty, fifty, yeah, in their sixties, and the older guys. Um, they, you know, they, they get fun. They think it's fun to pick on the entry level supervisors. It's always been that way. And maybe it's not anymore because you can't, you can't do that kind of stuff anymore, but it used to be, that's just the way it was. I yeah. went through it. You have to go through it. Yeah. Seniority sucks when you're not yeah, senior. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I was working rotating shifts. Uh, I would work all, all three shifts. And mm-hmm. so part of the job was to cover people's days off. So you'd work like Monday, Tuesday midnight shift and then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday day shift and then Saturday, Sunday um, afternoon shift. And that will scramble your brain big time. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, the old, um, you know, close open kind of deal is it's never fun. I like, like, oh yeah, we're going to schedule you. You get off at eight and now you're back in at 9am the next day. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. uh, No, I was just going to say that, um, it, it was a very disciplined brewery, very yeah. well-run brewery. I learned a lot about brewing beer, how how to make a proper glass of beer. And so that was good. And um, the brewmaster at the brewery I worked at was uh, very kind to me. Uh, my boss, my direct boss also, uh, we got along really, really well. So I had a lot of... Um, I had a lot of people that I really liked. And, you know, in work, a lot of it is, is working with people that you enjoy to be around. Um, but the um, w- when I went to work in a large brewery, the people from the, my friends and small brewery said, well, what's what's it like? And um, I, I used to say that, well, it's the same as a craft brewery. But in a craft brewery, you're making one brew a day and mm-hmm. you have problems. In the brewery that I was at, we were making 24 brews a day and we had problems. So it meant that the problems came faster and heavier. So, uh, you know, like I worked in the fermenting cellar for a time. And so if something happened in the fermenting cellar there, it's sort of like um, like cars on, on a road. Each batch is coming down the pike. Yeah. And there's one an hour that's coming at you like clockwork. And so what you don't want to do is is push the button to stop. Yeah, because that's uh, problems. That's a big problem. And number one, because <laughs> the, we got orders. And number two, you've got all of these batches in process. So when something bad happened in what was called the starting cellar, you had to really think quickly. 
and move quickly and resolve the problem. And usually things happened <laughs> a Christmas Eve at four o'clock in the morning, you know, <laughs> very course. rarely does stuff happen on a Tuesday at two in the afternoon. Yeah. You know, it always happens like there's a power, like a thunderstorm. And in a large, well, in any brewery, but in a large brewery in particular that's run with lots of automation, when there's a thunderstorm and there's a brownout or a sag or just a couple of seconds of a power outage and everything goes blip, that takes four or five hours to get things up and running. Oh, yeah. It can be, uh, so I have lots of PTSD stories about various um, dramas that befell us. Well, yeah, and you're absolutely right. I mean, when you're running sort of, I mean, you, you know, with with the assembly line thing, it, it is like, yeah, if you, when you stop an assembly line, okay, the next car is just not getting the axle put on, whatever. Yeah. That's, that's okay. But if you stop an assembly line in a brewery, it's like, no, no, no. Everything that's, you know, in the brew kettle needs to occupy this space that's right. in 25 minutes. That's right. So... And if, it, what do if you, you don't, it's, you know, it theoretically it could spoil. It's yeah. going to get too darker. It's going to have off flavor. It's going to be too bitter. It's going to be oxidized. So uh, um, you don't want to be the one that's responsible for a beer being dumped. No, no, no. You never want to be the one in, this, in, in your boss's office having to answer the question of, so what happened? Yeah, right. You, you know what I mean? That's, that's yeah. never a good question to be having be posed to you. Well, one thing that I learned, though, that I, I passed on to, to my brewers here at New Glarus is, is that I always prided myself that when I had to call my boss at three o'clock in the morning and wake, wake him up and say, I've, I've got a problem mm-hmm. and I, this is the problem. I can offer three suggestions for a resolution. I think that that's when you call somebody and you wake them up at three o'clock in the morning, they're groggy. They're not awake. They're not happy. Of course they're not. <laughs> And if you just say, I have a problem, tell me what to do, that really sucks. So by saying I can offer these three suggestions, it gives them time to wake up. It gives them time to ruminate on this. And it means that I'm coming prepared. So I, it's everybody in the brewery knows that when they call me, they usually show up with alternative ideas on how to solve the problem. So it means that they're thinking and that that gives me time to get up to speed. And so yeah. I really appreciate that. And, and it also it's also sending the subtle message of I, I'm calling you right now because I have to because you need to make a decision on these three things I'm laying out. For yeah, you. that's exactly because right. we've taken we've taken all of the necessary steps and these are the concluding points. But you also signed up to be the guy who decides on the ultimate thing to move forward. So there you go. I got to kick this upstairs to you. So now you got, well, it was funny because Kate would, uh, me and Kate first, uh, you know, met and she was just telling me about, you know, you know, what, what it was like sort of growing up in the, in in the household and stuff. And, uh, she would recall just times like, yeah, my dad would get calls. Like seriously, the household would ring at like four 30 in the morning, five in the morning, three 30 in the morning. And you'd hear him talking for a couple minutes and then he'd be out the door. Yeah. You know, like that was like, that was like a, a, a regular thing. So it's like, you know, when you're working in these industries, like the beer doesn't sleep That's when, right. when you do. That's right. So moving forward, uh, so, so sort of manning a brewery, when you, when you started your own, you, you had seen, you know, what the cultures were like, the cultures like in a small startup brewery, you've seen what the culture is like in a, in a large brewery. And I know Deb, when she talks, uh, has talked about starting up new Glarus, I mean, you guys to me are sort of like a, a special team. And I don't think this thing could have really worked the way it does 
without both of you being exactly kind of who you are. Because, you know, when you hear her talk about, oh, yeah, you know, when we first started, you know, it, it, it was a bit of a, a, a boys club, right? Such the case. Yeah, I mean, it's not like we, I don't think we've solved, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm sure we haven't solved sexism yet. I, no. I, I don't think we've gotten close. No. But, you know, she had a, she had a vision and a drive and you, and, and you could see that you had the, you know, the technical know-how, but, you know, it doesn't seem like there was any temptation of, for you to be like, all right, you know, I've seen how this works now. Let's let the men take over. You know what I mean? And I don't think that would have played out very well either, but no, that would have been a stupid thing to do, uh, for, on a lot of, uh, levels, but again, you know, getting back to the idea of, um, the most capable person is the one that's going to lead. And, you know, I've, I've said before that I'm a, um, I'm a, a huge fan of how the, how the Marine Corps, U S Marine Corps runs their business and, uh, pushing the decision down, to the um, person who is involved in the action, uh, as long as they're well-trained and responsible, is the best way to quickly react to a situation. So that's one thing. And um, I guess the other thing, I can tell you a a quick story about how Deb views these things. Um, You know, she's never really... uh, sold our business as a female owned business. Yeah. It's just a brewery. Um, It's a brewery like no other, like every other brewery. So, um, a a, a craft brewers association, um, called up Deb and said, Hey, uh, you know, we have a board of advisors and we have a woman on that board of advisors and, um, she's, uh, she's retiring. So, uh, we'd like to have you on our board. And Deb said, no, and I said, Deb, why'd you say no? She said, because I'm not a woman brewer, brewery owner. I'm a brewery owner. And yeah. I don't want to be on your board as a, as a woman. I want to be as a, as a person. Yeah. Let and, me know when the chair retires. Well, well, it, it's yeah. just, it's just the, it's just that sort of, I don't want to say sexist because it was not their intent. Well, they were trying to be inclusive. But tokenizing tokenizing yes yeah. it's just it's insulting to be viewed as a not as a person but as a ex person yeah uh, you know and and that is that diminishes their talent or their contribution and it's i'm a human being yeah it puts like a it, it, it puts a cloud over the choice because it's like oh we had a lady retire we need to replace her yeah. with we need to replace her with a lady you yeah, know what exactly. i mean this is like well, was there anybody who retired before her? And, yeah. you know, did you think of me for that? Or is it just yeah. because now this is, is this just the lady seat? Like, yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it's insulting. It, it's, it, it can be kind of insulting. Yeah. And, and especially since it's like, no, you should want me because of what I've done and what exactly. I've, and, and what I've built. And yes, I bring the perspective of a woman in this business, yeah. but that should not be the sole deciding factor of why you, yeah. you, you want to add me to this board. So you can say, Hey, we're represented on this board equally, and we have women. Yeah, but you, wouldn't, you, wouldn't, and, you know. But to even to say that, you bring the perspective of a woman. No, you bring this perspective yeah. of Deb. Yeah. It's like, well, we want three men because we need the perspective of a male. No, you mm. don't. You need the perspective of this person, their skill set. Yeah. It's nothing to do with their genitals. Yeah. No, I I, I agree. And you know what? It, it's it's I I really do enjoy when I hear when I hear stories like that when someone says no to something like that because it's like. You know, look, yeah. W- would you want to be on that board? Sure, but you want to you want to be invited for the right reasons. Yeah. And, and and I think with the way this brewery is just operated, I think it is a very um, a very uh, a good illustration of sort of like 
how egalitarian can you make a a, a business while having yeah, it still be a it's, business? It's, it's you know a what I mean? It's a process. And and I think you guys have, have, have found that it can be very successful in, in listening and basically, you know, I never heard of flat management or whatever till I started yeah. here and, and hearing you guys talk sort of passionately about it, but watching how that process plays out and how, you know, you guys choose to run this business you know, seems to be a case study in, in, in how this can work to great success. Well, if, if you look at our, 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 what I would call people of responsibility, our team leaders, managers, you might want to call them. Yeah. And the idea of a flat management means that there's really not many job titles. And that's really something that Deb conjured. In fact, the idea of servant leadership, we hadn't heard that word before. And one day somebody called Deb and said, you know what? You're a servant leader. She said, I'm a what? And they said, I'll send you a book on it. Deb says, yeah, this is exactly how I I view these things. But um, in our brewery, um, more or less, roughly of our managers, 50% are men and 50% are women. And it's not, there was no deliberate decision to do that. It had to do with who was the most qualified person, who, who was ready for that responsibility and 50% on average are men and 50% are women. Well, the population of (laughs) green County is more or less 50%, 50, 50. So it just, it just suits the demographics. It wasn't that we considered, um, you know, a person's age or a person's sex. It's just that the randomness of these things means that the most qualified person got the job and on average they're 50, 50. Yeah. It turns out stats and uh, averages and, and calculations that are beyond my rudimentary understanding of mathematics. Don't, don't lie. Yeah. <laughs> the, the truth kind of will out in that. Well, you know what, uh, what did, um, uh, Mark Twain say about, uh, their, their, uh, lies, damn lies and statistics, but <laughs> that's, a, that's a, another story. So when we're talking about, you know, sort of the operating of a, of a brewery, just from like a, uh, how it works perspective, moving into, uh, to new Glarus, when you guys, you know, first started, I know it was, it was basically you, one other person and, and, and Deb. So, yeah. you know, you didn't have, there wasn't a whole lot of like, who's going to work this shift. It, yeah. it, it was going to plug the toilet. Yeah. It was like, one of you three, I guess, you yeah. know? Um, but as you, as you grew grew up in it as it grew bigger and as uh you know sort of you got your hands around what it what what it was becoming what was that transition that transition like for you in, in, in managing the brewery in those like early years of it uh, of it becoming cl- like the year after it became clear you guys weren't going out of business tomorrow you, yeah. you know what i mean well, Deb is a, is is very good at reading people. She she understands what people mean. She can look at a person and f- figure out what they're thinking. And and uh, you know, a lot of it. Uh, they say that um, people that have had uh, alcoholic parents are mm-hmm. really good at reading people. Yeah, very gotta, vigilant. Yeah. Well, you got to know when you know you don't know what you're going to get. Oh you, yeah. You might get knocked out of your chair at the dinner table. So you got to you got to be able to read what's coming before it before it hits you. So they, they, they're kind of conditioned, uh, to, to, to understand human nature. Um, I was a, I'm a technical person and my education was a science of brewing. So, uh, they never taught us anything about, um, 
about managing people. I, I was I was in ROTC when I was in college, so I learned a little bit about leadership, but really brewing schools should do a better job of teaching people how to be a leader because whether you're in a small three-person brew pub or a multi-million barrel uh, national brewery, working with people is what it's all about. It's it's less about machines and calculators and heat flows and 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 you know temperatures. It's about people. And oh, yeah. so for me, that was very, very hard. I think I've talked before in podcasts that, uh, you, you know, in Wisconsin, I, I tease you people and say, you guys talk between the lines. You oh, know? Yeah. Um, and so uh, it, it was uh, difficult for me because, um, you know, I come from the generation when the, you know, when the coach says, run, you ran, you didn't really ask, you know, really, it didn't, it wasn't even something you thought about or like, why? It's not for us to question why. Exactly. just to do uh so or die i think that's the end of that yeah yeah that's right that is the end of the uh so um uh so you do have some choice in the matter yeah you do yeah that's right um so for me it uh management has always been a a learning curve and as the brewery has grown it's been like a stair step endeavor so you you have a system you have a paradigm you have a culture you have a what we call SOPs or standard operating procedures and you have equipment that's capable of doing X and that works. And then eventually you start to strain the reins and it no longer works. Then you have to, you have to go to the next level. And in the nineties, you know, breweries were going, growing 30, 40, 50, a hundred percent a year. So you were reinventing yourself on a regular basis. That's very, very, very painful because people don't like change. They have a system. This is what I do. I come to work and I do this and, and, and I, you know, I work till this time. I know I can, I know how long it takes, et cetera. Uh, so that, that dance of growth was very, very painful for, for all of us, I would think for, for Deb and I and, and the people that, that worked for us. And, um, but Deb always had a clear, clear vision of servant leadership and a flat management. And those, once you have a guiding North star, it's easy. Well, it's not easy, but it's, it's less difficult to make decisions and move forward in a way. And so since I'm really good with a calculator and really good with a textbook, but only moderately successful as a leader. As time has gone by, we've specialized and people gravitate or are put in positions where they can be successful. So I'm not doing, I'm doing less and less management. I'm employee reviews. I do like three employee reviews from the people that direct report to me. And I'm doing less and less actual supervision which is probably good. <laughs> and people who are more talented at that are doing that. And really, uh, Deb um, is is very, very good. One thing about Deb is, is she's, she's generous and kind, but you have to, it's not a, um, it's not, uh, there's no free lunch. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not an we'll, inexhaustible well. Yeah, it's not, uh, uh, you, you have to, you have to give to get. So yeah. if you show up to work and you and you give, if you feel like you're giving more than you're getting, uh, the brewery will pay you back in spades. Uh, and that's always been the. And some people get that; they understand yeah. that if I work hard, uh, things will things will work out for me. And um, 
that's kind of how, how we've viewed how we run our brewery. No, and that, and that, that makes, that makes total sense for what you just sort of see walking, walking around in the brewery. You know, the other thing I yeah. have to add that that's really, 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 really important is this: you got to do what you say you're going to do. Yeah. I think people get really pissed in business when they're lied to. And I think it's common in the modern world. I see what happens now. I see, I, I see suppliers that we deal with, or I see, even when I'm out in the service, when I'm out, you know, doing something in, you know, a restaurant or car repair or whatever, you can tell well-run businesses that have managers that are running it on a day-to-day basis. But I see more and more businesses you know, the, the owner had built it up and has poured their heart and soul into it and their passion. And then they sell it to, a, you know, vampire capitalist or vulture capitalist, somebody who's, you know, in New York City and they, they buy it and then they, they phone it in. They hire a manager and then they, you know, cut, cut, cut. Yeah. And uh, people start to feel um, demoralized and they check out. And then these businesses are like, what happened to this business is totally imploded. And the owners just, they just keep sucking money out till the, till the, till the patient's dead. Nothing and, runs on uh, autopilot forever. No, but you can do it for some years and you can extract the cash and make your money back. So I have, um, I have, I think there's a special place in hell for uh, people that do that to businesses that get rich on the backs of other people and destroy um, communities. And it, it happens, it happens a lot. And oh, it's, yeah. uh, I think that it's, um, yeah, it's it's a, one of the greatest sins of all. Well, where well, where I kind of learned this lesson is um, when I was working on campaigns. So I got sent political for the, campaigns. Yeah, political campaigns. I got sent for the last thirty days to a. I, I run this one campaign very successfully, and they're like, "Okay, right, thirty days out, we think we're going to win this thing." There's one up north we don't think we're going to win. We want to send you there to sort of write, see if you can sell, write whatever ship is left. So. I got up there and this was my first time like in a legitimate like campaign office. And I saw the other people working campaigns and they were always at their desk and they were always staring at the computer, but I didn't have that luxury. I had to get something, we had to get something moving. So I would come in two hours early. I would make sort of what the walk packets. So basically these are the packets you send people out with. They go knock on doors and I would hand them out to my volunteers and then I would leave with them with, with yeah. like four there of them go. myself. Cause I, I, I had to, right. Yeah. And then we'd all pretty much end up back at the same time. And to a person, they all wanted to do four more because they saw me going out with yeah, four more. Right. But the people who were just sitting at their desk and trying to hand them out, they weren't, they weren't, their stuff wasn't coming back like that. The people, they, yeah. the, their volunteers did not want to work for them that hard because why am I going out not getting yeah, paid to sure. do this when the person getting paid to do this is just sitting at a desk? You That's know what right. I mean? So at that age, at that age, it really stuck in my head like oh yeah you can you can advance yourself to a a position of management you can advance yourself to a position of leadership but if you don't actually continue to like in some capacity do work where people can see you doing it no one's going to want to work that hard for you well that that is 100 percent true and that is uh definitely what i found to be the case um if you and particularly if you're an entrepreneur uh, or starting a, a, a small business and you want to build something, that's what you need to do. But the problem with corporate America, or I would say probably any corporate corporation, is that sometimes people that keep their head down and they go to the right Christmas parties <laughs> and they make friends with the, the right you know boss above them 
and they know when to keep their mouth shut and they don't take any chances. Oh yeah. Uh, they seem to skate on. Whereas if somebody, you know, like a, um, like, a, like a gopher, uh, sticks their head out, uh, to take a chance. They're the ones they're going to get <laughs> shot at. So, um, it, it, it requires in a corporation, it requires the people in charge to, make a decision that they're going to allow people to be adventurous and make mistakes and not penalize somebody for trying something that didn't work. I mean, as long as it's done in a collaborative way, you don't want people going off half cocked. But if, if somebody says, Hey, I have an idea. You say, okay, go for it. Let it run. Let's see how it plays out. Coach them, help them be by their side. And if they stumble, say, you know, help them up and say, okay, let's try again. And then you're going to win. But that's not very, it's not very common because, you know, most large corporations are, have headquarters somewhere else. Yeah. And, um, like, you know, you look at, look, you look at what befell Boeing, for example, when the, the decision makers are, uh, half a continent away, um, things, uh, things will eventually go South. So you're right, but it requires, I always say that of any business, any organization, any team is a personification of the decision maker. Oh yeah. And if you're leading from the front, um, you know, you, you, you can be successful. Yeah. People tend to want to follow, follow you a little bit more when you're the crazy one going, come on guys, the breach is right over there. Yeah, exactly. We're running into it. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, the, like you look at those old world war one film strips and the, the, you know, usually the, uh, the captain with a, um, 45 is the first one oh, out yeah. of the, out of the trenches, you know, that's, <laughs> That takes some guts, so takes some guts. but p- otherwise no one's going to, no one's going to follow you. No, 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 no one likes me to go like, Oh yeah, that sounds stressful for you guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let <laughs> me know how it goes. <laughs> let me know how that goes, man. I'm, I'm glad I, uh, I'm glad I didn't come into that problem today. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Meanwhile, we both walked in the same door. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? But I've really enjoyed this conversation. And what I really like, coming back to where we started, what I really like about uh, two women is as I've been drinking this, the hops, uh, the hop bite on the, on the back end of that comes out so clearly. Yeah. And the balance of that beer gets showcased just so impeccably as it warms up just like a degree or two. Well, it's such the, a nice the dream beer. Is, it's a malt forward beer yeah. for sure. But a malt forward beer should have a little bit of bite, a little bit of tannin, a little bit of uh, hop bitterness to so that you know that you're drinking something not just something that's too sweet yeah and it, and it really does and and it is a perfect beer to have over the course of a conversation well, it really it's, is it's deb and i's favorite beer you know deb this is if if deb and i are at home having dinner if she makes bratwurst or something i always know that i can crack uh two women and you know we'll split a split a bottle of two women with dinner and she always says the same thing that's such a good beer it really is in 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 writing you know, they'll, they'll sometimes say like your favorite character has plot armor, you know, cause it's just like the, you know, the author's not going to kill that person. Yeah. Off. Like, honestly, it seems like they're going somewhere. Sure. Like That seems like that author's favorite or the, sure. the creator of that TV show's favorite character. Okay. They're not going to die. Like this plot armor. Yeah. So two women being one of my favorite beers and, and being one of your two favorite beers, I kind of feel like, all right, two women's got a little bit of plot armor. It will take a, it would take, it yeah. would take a lot. <laughs> yes. Yes. To, to, to not have it be available for me when I need it. Yeah, that's right. Well, Dan, thank you very much for your time. My I, I really appreciate it. Thanks, Scott. Yep, you have a good one. <laughs>